and welcome to the first episode of Mind the Millennial Gap. We are two people on the opposite ends of millennialism, and even though we might be in the same generation, we find that our experiences are often very different. Each week, we will take turns exploring a different aspect of being a millennial, whether it is technology, millennials in the workplace, or nostalgic shows and toys. We wanted to take a moment to introduce ourselves, your hosts. Chris, would you like to go first? Yeah, absolutely. I can't believe we're finally, finally doing this. This has been at least a year, I would think. Yeah, probably. Of chatting about it. To Maybe more. Hitting a record button. A lot of that year being our fault of not getting around <laughs> to this doing it. <laughs> All right, wonderful. Uh, yeah, for... The zero people that are listening to this, my name is Chris. I am an elder millennial. I won't tell you the date, but I was born in the earlier 80s. Um, I grew up in the South for the most part, and I've lived around the U.S., and now I find myself in uh, the Mountain West, out here enjoying the high altitude and arid temperatures that happen where we're at. Cheech? at all that's it for now that's it for now okay yeah. awesome all righty my name is jillian um chris regularly calls me jeech i use she her pronouns i was born in 1992 which puts me closer to the middle to end of the millennial generation um i grew up in north carolina as the oldest of four kids and i currently live in the mountain west with chris um some background that I'm sure we'll dive in on in some of the other episodes. I work in a very corporate setting, have for my whole career. I have a very fluffy cat who is right here listening to us record named Godiva. I love her more than I love most people and I love being outside, moving around and kind of doing whatever. Um, And as for Chris and I, we aren't just co- podcast hosts. On the most popular podcast that no one has listened to yet. (laughs) The most record chart-breaking podcast what what else is going on who are we chris let's see uh Cheech and i we met each other years ago now at this point uh pre-pandemic i believe is a milestone that everyone will <laughs> understand at that point uh yeah and so uh met each other happenstance uh we are partners in a long-term relationship and just enjoying enjoying life together. That's exactly what we are and what we're doing. Oh, that was perfect. Thank you, Chris. All righty. Um, so each week we're going to go kind of back and forth between us talking about different topics. Um, so this week I will be talking about the topic and Chris will be kind of blind reacting and throwing in his comments here. And today we are talking about... Who the heck are millennials and discussing a few common millennial stereotypes. Um, We'll be diving deeper into some of these in later episodes of the podcast. So if you hear something that you think is pretty cool and you want to go back to it, let us know. Alrighty, who are millennials? According to the Pew Research Center, millennials are individuals born between 1981 and 1996. So we can check that box. We were both millennials. Um, I've seen a few articles where the end date of millennial generation is later than 1996, but they, but the Pew Research Center holds at 96. 
is the cutoff date due to political, social, and economic factors that influence millennials during their formative years? Should we look into these Pew guys? I don't know who they are. Um, the Pew Research Center? Don't you always hear about them? Like, I hear about them, but I, I, don't, I don't know. They sound, uh, sound like they should have got a little bit more validation. I, you know what? You're going to have to take that out up with the uh, Pew themselves. <laughs> the Pews themselves. The Pews themselves. <laughs> um, all of these articles can be found in the work cited because I am a big believer in research and cited a lot of articles in here. So those will all be in the work cited. Chris can check out, see if he believes this Pew Research Center. I think he's just salty because he is on the very, very top end thing of millennials. So there's that. Okay, but... The things that we experience as millennials in kind of our formative years that they brought up, um, they're pretty U.S.-centric, the ones that I could find, uh, still working on finding others that kind of bring in the broader um, world because we know millennials exist all over the world. Um, okay, so these factors that the Pew Research Center cited as being formative are September 2001 terrorist attacks in New York City, the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, the election of President Barack Obama in 2008, and then also the economic recession starting in 2008. So, so these were measurable events that all millennials, despite the time frame of where they sit in the um, measurement of what a millennial is, should have shared. Yeah, that's kind of like we were old enough to remember it. So if we say like 1996, those like the latest events here are kind of the 2008 period. Mm -hmm. Um, and those, um, they would have been around 12 at that point. So definitely kind of understanding more understanding so how the recallable memories. Working. Yeah. Okay. Things like that. Um, and I should say the start of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Okay. Um, as of 2019, the Pew Research Center, sorry, goes back to them estimated that millennials are the largest generational cohort in America with a population of 72 million, more than a quarter of the entire population. Globally, there are about 1.8 millennials, and that is equal to 23% of the global population. So we are a quarter of the people here. Interesting. So that stat isn't U.S.-centric then? No, it's not. Okay, no. because the, the horrible... Nicknames that we've named the generations for some reason. Boomers, in theory, are probably the largest age demographic in America. But I'd have to go look that all up. I, yeah, I think we... Yep. I, I would imagine you're correct. I'd imagine it'd be worth a Google. What are your, why are boomers named boomers? Because uh, they're baby boomers. So they were post... Uh, international war conflict children. And there were, there were a lot of them. Is that the idea behind it? I'm sorry. Quite, quite a, know. quite a bit of them, a, a okay. very large population boom. Like a boom of baby. Kind <laughs> of that cool. post-World War II, post-Korean War. Okay. Scenario. Um, so that would be like our parents. Our parents are boomers. Like oh, most definitely. Specifically, mine specifically. Most definitely. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, okay, so quarter of everyone, a quarter, almost a quarter of the world's population are millennials. Um, millennials are also the most educated generation to date with 51% of millennial women and 42% of millennial men. 
in North America receiving post-secondary education, which is a master's degree or higher. Uh, globally, that status 23% of women and 22% of men receiving post-secondary education. Um, so go girls, we're crushing it. Um, even though they're more educated, they're also making 20% less than their parents did at the same age when adjusted for inflation and are under more than double the amount of student loan debt. That is, wow. In the United States, millennials are also more likely to be multilingual than previous generations with 37% speaking more than one language. And Chris, let's, let's check out some of these um okay when it comes to when it comes to multilingual i doubt that's a function of kids went to uh summer camp over in europe and picked up french that that's got to be a function of immigration and more socioeconomic concentrations of of cultures in america i would assume so you you are correct this article also stated that uh, millennials are the first generation to be uh, prim- primarily, um, oh, I wish I had it in front of me because I can't remember all the way, but essentially more um, more millennials are um, the, the children of immigrant immigrants than have been in previous generations. So yeah, just, yeah. High level, that makes sense. Okay. Like, if I sit there and think about that, there are certain circumstances in other first world countries that put people in a place to not have a large family or a family at all, right? A lot of those are financial barriers and some um, other items there. So whether you were from a developing country or a first world country with some limitations, I would assume that immigrating to the States would provide you an opportunity to potentially have a family that um, maybe wasn't available or you could provide for a family that uh, maybe otherwise wasn't an option there. Or maybe you're just adopting the American zeitgeist of having children um, from decades ago. Yeah, or it could be as um, more people are immigrating to the United States, more people are staying as well. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know the background of that statistic. Yeah, I don't know. That'd be interesting to, to take a look at. I think look, thinking about it globally, though, that actually makes a lot of sense to me. There's a over the, let's see here, millennialism is, when was the end? What was the declared date? 96. So 96. So millennialism is essentially over... 15 years or so. Yep. And from the 80s to the 90s, there was a lot of economic growth that happened across the world. I mean, globalism became a thing that we're starting to see some potential cracks in, but globalism really lifted a lot of economies across the world. I could see why that there was um, population growth amongst our generation. This is very fascinating. I would love to speak to someone who maybe understands statistics a little bit more or has a broader view on this before we go making assumptions, but I love it. Love where your brain is at. (laughs) Okay. So we are going to get into some more fun millennial stats. Um, 38% of millennials have one or more tattoos. I thought that was very interesting. Um, 
Millennials are also more likely than previous generations, despite making 20% less than our parents did, um, to give to charity. So 84% of millennials give to charitable contributions annually with the average contribution of $500. When I first heard that stat, I was like, oh, I'm sure they're counting the $1 you give to the Children's Miracle Network. Or at, the Taco Bell drive through Do you yeah, want to round up? Exactly. No, but this was... Um, this was a, more that was a startling statistic to me. Let's I come back to tattoos for a moment, right? <laughs> back to tattoos. That's that's actually quite fascinating. Um, I personally don't have any tattoos. I find them just beautiful, and am often quite jealous that I can never even figure out how to get a tattoo because I have commitment issues and can't land on anything that I would want on my body for more than a week. But. It's it's interesting to sit there and think it's like tattoos were in previous generations like affiliated with like the navy or military service or like a rock and roll maybe lifestyle. a like less mainstream maybe. lifestyle yeah I was gonna say rock and roll because <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> exclude any other musicians or artists <laughs> that might also participate but yeah it it's quite interesting how uh, maybe a little bit more accepting of body art is what I'll call it. Not just tattoos, but body art in the mainstream has become. And even in the corporate office, I know that we don't live in the most uh, alternative or forward-thinking place in the United States, but even in the workplace, there's, there's quite a bit of body art that's on display and isn't ever... You know, no one's consulted on you should wear long sleeves or anything like that, right? And and maybe that's kind of a privilege we have of both working in the tech world for a majority of our careers, the tech slash barbecue world for a majority <laughs> of our careers. Um, barbecue technology is what I would call Barbecue them. tech. <laughs> Spatulas. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it would be interesting to hear if that is an experience that other people share that as um, more millennials have tattoos, that's one in three, more than one in three, are people in a corporate setting being asked to cover up still tattoos? Are people in other settings being asked to not show tattoos? I tried to apply for a position with Delta in the last few months and I would have to hide my tattoos. Um, I have one. I have several tattoos. Um, I think Chris and I mostly should, discreet. Mostly, mostly discreet. Um, there's a few that would be a little bit more difficult, depending on the uniform to get away with. Um, but Chris and I, I, I would love for us to get a matching tattoo. So if you have thoughts or ideas, please send them to mindthemillennialgap at gmail dot com. Not sure we own that email, but we'll check after. <laughs> right. I'm more interested in. <laughs> if tattoo artists have grown, are there more tattoo artists today than ever? Are there just more people going to the same number of of tattoo artists? You know what? I'm sure we could have one on the show that would love a millennial tattoo artist that would love talking about Did her you, experience. Oh, I'd love to have them on. Yes. Did you ever see... Um, it was one of the like tertiary cable channels, like TLC or or something How dare like you that. Call TLC tertiary. <laughs> <laughs> but it was um, the 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 guy that's married to the artist, uh, the vocal artist Pink. 
uh, Carrie Hart, I believe is his name. Yes. And they had a whole show about the one tattoo shop where the most quickest decisions are ever made in this world is Las Vegas. <laughs> and they just had a tattoo shop, I believe that was in a corridor of a casino. And the whole premise of the show was the things that happen in this tattoo shop and then highlighting the people that come get tattoos there. That was years ago. Do you think it was more... Because, like, TLC is is kind of known for it. Like, I might almost, be giving credit to the wrong channel, but it was okay. a TLC-adjacent <laughs> channel. Thing. Some of those are kind of more um, sh- almost shock value TV shows, right, that they put on out there. Like, oh, this person's, like, hoarders or some of those shows. Like, this person lives very differently than me. I am very interested in watching their going ons and i wonder if that's what it was intended to be um and now yeah that's very interesting i would love to talk to a millennial tattoo artist if you're out there let us know right because there's plenty of (laughs) (laughs) there's plenty of of shallow tv that has a decent amount of shock or it holds to the same formula every single episode um Another another guilty pleasure at one point in life that I don't watch anymore. Bar Rescue. I can't imagine that there are this many people that have somewhat of a successful bar and are painted as people that have no clue how to even count $2 okay. or do business. But this one guy is the only guy that knows how the formulas of making successful bars. <laughs> and he comes in and humiliates people for about 15 minutes, gives them a hug, tells them that he can help, and then he puts some lights in. And tells people to stop over pouring drinks. We are very far tangented, so I'm going to <laughs> reel us back in but for more hot takes on reality show TVs, but not the Kardashians for some reason. I, I am not a Kardashian professional. Mead. I can't comment on, <laughs> on their 20-year reign of TV. And for those who would like a musical excursion through Pink and Carrie Hart's relationship, please listen to her hit, So What?, I'm still a rock star. Got my rock moves, and I don't need you tonight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair. Great fair. song. Okay. Oh. Okay. Alrighty. Um. Okay. Millennials are also forty percent more likely to unplug from the digital world during vacations than Gen Xers. I would assume that's because we. Um. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we were raised with a little bit more awareness of mental health and um, as a result, recognize burnout more and how important it is to unburn out. But it also surprises me because if we're unplugging, how are we posting so many Instagrams? Yeah, is that, that like unplugging from work? That's maybe? what gets me. It seems like an all or nothing, right? Because we, we recently just went on an item where we unplugged, but we almost forced unplugged because there is no internet. At, at certain parts of, of the vacation, uh, depending on where we were at that day. Oh, yeah, that was very nice. Right? But mm-hmm. I think more than ever, technology is a commonplace in our lives, whether it's running our personal lives or in some function of our workplace life. And I wonder if that the people that do unplug are the ones that maybe are more uh, technology heavy in their, I don't know, work items that they do. Mm. That'd be an interesting one to go take a look at because I would actually think more people are connected to personal illustrations, you know, of Instagrams, 
Does anyone Snapchat anymore? Is that a thing? Yes, I've seen so many people Snapchat, and I don't know. I I should have said TikTok. I I just <laughs> I, I barely got TikTok. Uh, no. The zero people that are listening, uh, <laughs> Jillian made sure I had it I for market research. Yeah, no, I think that is very interesting. I think that is one we should dive deeper into. I will make a note to check that one, which will be in our show notes, that article. Nice. Um, so we can come back with more context. Alrighty, here's one that I thought was very interesting and a perfect, this is perfect for our day to day. Millennials are less likely to drink alcohol than previous generations, but when they do drink, they're more than double as likely to drink wine than their parents were christopher now's your time to plug your favorite vineyard oh uh andre not three thousand but uh, <laughs> guys when it comes to wine i just don't have much experience but when i find one out of the many that i don't like i hold on to it really really tightly <laughs> and apparently i have no class and i can just really, really have a great night off of $6 <laughs> and one bottle of cheap wine. I think that is a treasure about you because you choose something not for its price point, but you choose it because it's something you actually like. And to me, that's beautiful. It doesn't matter how what it is or what their advertising is. If you like it, then like it. Be you, boo. Fair. But I was very disappointed when I wanted to go visit their vineyard <laughs> and there's no mention of a vineyard, so... Take it for what it is. If you can't, if you don't know what Andre is, like think of strawberry and peach Moscato. It is just like sipping on a little juicy juice box. Uh, it's very nice. Just it, delicious. It and is. $6. It is truly magical for all those who haven't <laughs> experienced it. Go, go to the less walk section of your adult beverage store and look to the very bottom of the floor and you might find it. Andre, we love you. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast, find the millennial gap at gmail.com. I'll also plug, go check out their website. It is the most, they know their audience. They know exactly who consumes their beverages and they're not trying to mistake themselves for anything they're not. And maybe that's just kind of a metaphor for who we are for millennials. We know who we are. We're not ashamed. And, um, yeah. Deal yeah. With it. Yeah. Go get the people that make you happy. Yeah. I love it. Okay. I love it. Now that we know a little bit about millennials, let's jump into three millennial stereotypes and myths. Are you ready for this, Christopher? I can't wait. All right. Myth number one, my favorite myth. If millennials just stopped with their avocado toast, they could buy a home. Oh my God. How many times have we all heard this? Chris said, Chris said he hasn't heard this before, but that might be an elder millennial thing. But I feel like that was a very common trope um, that was around for a long time. So we're going to go ahead and call this one a myth. Mm, not a stereotype, a myth. Um, as we spoke about earlier, millennials are making less than their parents and they have more student debt than their parents. So let's, let's clarify that. Yeah. Less than their parents when it is cost adjusted for inflation. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Cause my parents, the, the little I talk to them, make sure that they make a note of how much money I make, even though they have no clue the dollar amount that they know that it is more than they, they make but my buying power is ridiculously less. Right. Yes. That's, yes. Correct. 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> and how expensive is avocado toast? Okay. Well, we are about to get here. I did some math. And you know, it gets serious when I start doing math. Okay. So, we have more, we're making less and we have more student debt. At the same age, millennials are spending more on housing, education, and health care than their boomer parents. At their age, they were spending more than us on transportation, food away from home, apparel, and entertainment. So, already, it kind of just shows you that we're spending more on um, things that are lower down on Haslow, or higher up on Maslow's hierarchy of needs that you absolutely need to survive. Well, they were spending more on luxury items. Um, I did a little napkin math, and based on a wage gap, 10% per, per year, or 10K per year between millennials and their parents at the same age, after adjusting for inflation and assuming that the average cost of avocado toast is at $8, which I took from doing an average of uh, metropolitan areas avocado toast so this is these are city avocados these are city avocados so they're the most we are giving the most life we're breathing as much life into this myth as we can saying in the very worst case scenario you're buying avocado toast in new york city every single day have you and i ever gotten avocado toast together no the years we've been yeah i don't think that's ever a menu item that's come up i think i know what's for dinner yum 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 um okay so uh, assuming all those things Millennials would have to eat 3.4 servings of avocado toast every single day to make this assumption true. That's avocado toast for every single meal plus a second dinner. Okay, so like let's break that down a little bit more. We are saying that... Oh, sorry, Christopher. He's telling me I need to pull it closer to my face. Um... But that's just crazy. That's crazy to me that in order to make up a wage gap of 10K per year after adjust after adjusting for inflation, um, that we have to eat. All right. So I'm eating three pieces of toast. So one slice of toast and maybe half of an avocado sliced with a little bit of salt and pepper and oil on it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm eating three of those and maybe finishing someone else's. To get to almost but, three and a half a day. Yeah, and you're like paying for that portion. That I cannot wait else's. till this turns into some fad diet that gets some traction <laughs> and I have no clue how in the world people can even believe called, that eating three things of avocado <laughs> toast helped them lose 20 pounds. It's the, called the if you just stopped eating it, you could buy a house thing. It's diet. TM. So this is the renter forever diet. Uh, renter forever diet. <laughs> yeah. That to me was just startling. Um, yeah, because that would be every single day. That's all you eat. No, don't get me wrong. Toast. I think oftentimes people, uh, um, depending on the outlet that you consume information, you you could be getting tiny little slivers of someone's actual behaviors, right? And so that gets aggrandized and then generalized across everyone their age. I I don't disagree with you. We will touch on that in one of my upcoming planned episodes. Yeah. Millennials in the media and how millennials um, have, who are in the media, such as Paris Hilton and Kardashian, have kind of shaped the outside of millennial uh, zeitgeisty feeling about it. It'll be great. I'm stoked. Alrighty. 
Back to the avocado toast. From these stats alone, these alone, without considering the skyrocketing cost of housing, which I didn't even try to adjust for housing prices. How how can you? The the math has changed in a day. It really is. Um, It's pretty clear that it would take more than giving up any sort of food commodity for millennials to be in a financially similar situation as their parents to purchase a house. Um, It's crazy. Alrighty. I think just the concept, I mean, I understand the the pros of homeownership and the cons of homeownership, but doesn't that feel like almost an expectation or like a check mark in order to say you finally become a responsible adult? I think, I think we, we rush kids. I have no other word for it. Kids into being an adult, but you're not a successful or recognized adult unless you have some, known job title or a house to show for your efforts. Yeah. yeah. Married, 2.5 kids in a yard. With <laughs> Part of a dog. Part of a dog. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yep. It it really is. Um, I agree with you. It's a milestone that maybe is dropping the milestone that our parents held on to and older generations have held on to that is um, maybe starting to drop off a little bit. Yeah, I won't go too far into it, but every single time we experience uh, a significant bump in the economy, the housing somehow is always involved, whether it is on a negative trend or whether it's responding to like COVID, if you take a look at COVID, how many people wanted to relocate and they found themselves in a place that they could financially relocate if they're moving away from maybe where they were working on the coast, I think is oftentimes uh, what is symbolized as all the Californians left. I, I doubt it. Last time you were there a handful of weeks ago, I'm sure there are plenty of happy Californians living in San Diego. Very happy Californians. But very jealous. Uh, oftentimes, it's, you know, that created among other things, uh, quite the hike in housing costs that have really left some of the American, some if not most of the American population behind if they weren't already an asset owner. I would agree with you on that one. Um, And it would be interesting to kind of understand more if millennials are not wanting to buy a house or not valuing the purchase of a house rather than just straight up not being able to afford it. Yeah, I actually saw an article the other day, only the headline, I wish I could um, go into details about it, but it said that uh, millennial housing demand was still quite high, um, but ability to acquire houses was relatively low. Interesting. Interesting. If you find that article, send it to me and I will put it in our, we're excited in our show notes. Oh yeah, of course. I'll definitely make sure someone gets credit for that, that I read their headline. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you. We are journalists here. (laughs) Hard hitting, factual, (laughs) definitely no opinions. We got to make sure those zero listeners know exactly (laughs) where to go. Christopher, there'll be like at least two at the end of this. Okay, millennials. You and me. You and me, baby. Forever and ever. Okay. Myth, or sorry, myth or stereotype number two. Millennials are refusing to get married. Did you see this one coming, Christopher? Refusing's quite a word. It is. 
and that is i'm gonna say this one um unlike the avocado toast discussion this one holds a little bit more water it is a stereotype that might hold a little bit of truth um okay per ap research center report sorry chris a majority of millennials are not currently married um and that marks a significant change from past generations so only 44 percent of millennials were married in 2019 compared with 53% of Gen Xers, 61 of Boomers, and 81% of Silence at a comparable age. Did you know that the, the generation above Boomers were called the Silent Generation? No, what were they silent about? I have I have no idea. I've also heard them called the Greatest Generation, and I, I don't understand the context of that. Maybe we should do something about... Oh, what are the rest I have of an understanding generation? of that, but that's way off <laughs> where we're at. We can go land on that okay, later. Okay, perfect. Um, the age at which millennials are getting married is also different than previous generations. The average millennial marries at 29, which is, and that's average between um, any gender, and which is four years later than their parents. So the Business Insider, we're switching it up from Pew Research Center, reported that fear is leading millennials to marry later as they take time to get to know their partners, accumulate assets, and become financially successful. Interestingly enough, while the national divorce rate is around 50% for all of marriages in the United States, the divorce rate amongst millennials is 32%. I'm glad you landed on that. That was a question I had. I wonder if they have observational like data points they're taking in because, you know, a, a, if you take a handful of households that millennials grew up in, half of those households were in some circumstance of a dissolved marital relationship, potentially... Yeah. A new one came around or whatever, but they're they're part of of that item, and I wonder if they hold that in their decision making processes. You know, it it that very well could be it. It could the article hypothesized that, um, yeah, it that it was it was taking the time to really know people and not having any, like, not recognizing much benefit to the institution of marriage at a young age. Yeah. I wouldn't um, be surprised if that career drive is a, ma- a major, if not the major factor of, heaven forbid, you have a ton of student debt and you're wanting to pay it off and you can't feasibly think about taking on another um, financial arrangement without getting that further down, if not fully... Uh, paid off while you're trying to grow a career from being entry out of college. That is um, a wonderful point. And for those of you listening, maybe just me, who are a fan of um, the Netflix TV show where you have to um, switch up partners and then after or it's called the ultimatum. Uh, you have to, you, somebody gives an ultimatum to a partner, you have to switch up partners, yada, yada. The, something that was cited quite a bit in that show was people were not financially ready to get married and they were all younger millennials or, or Gen Zers on that. So maybe Chris antidotally, antidotally. It's just come up a lot of conversation as I talk to coworkers and as I've gone through my career at multiple companies, a lot, oftentimes it's, yeah, that's in my five-year plan from wherever they're at today, but rarely is it the five-year plan from their entry point as their yeah. first job, right? Um, this is a topic we are in, definitely cover more in depth in later episodes um we are both divorced millennials but we both followed 
kind of a more boomerific path to our first marriages than a traditional millennial path. Boomerific. Uh, TM, that's ours. It's going on t-shirts and hats. <laughs> Just one boomerific path. Oh, man. I couldn't think of a better word. That was amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, so it, it, we'll have to get some dating app folks in here. I'm making a boomerific dating app. <laughs> You're a millennial, but you like traditional ways. No, it wouldn't be a dating app. It would be like, I don't know. How did people used to meet each other? This isn't important to this topic, but now I'm curious. Bars and church. Bars and church. Okay. Or maybe both at the same time. I don't know how that works. We love it. Okay. Our last myth slash stereotype is um, one that Christopher and I actually do not agree on at all. Um, I know this from previous conversations with him on this topic, and so I'm going to ask him, Christopher, please hold until the end of my spiel on this to give you a rebuttal. Oh, don't make it long. Ooh, okay. Number three. Millennials just want participation trophies. This one always makes me laugh because I always feel called out on it on, like a, on a personal level. Um, I'm a pretty avid runner. And at the end of most longer races, you get a medal, no matter how fast you went. And I love these medals. Um, in one of the places I lived, I had them all up on display, like just hanging from something. They were so heavy. Tore out some of the drywall. It's fine. But I love those medals. Um, would I still be a runner without getting a medal? Sure. Would I ever sign up for another race again if participation medals were not guaranteed at the end? Maybe not. <laughs> When you are taking on a hard task, it feels really good to be recognized for the effort, regardless of how your effort compared to those around you. Even as an adult, I'm an advocate of a participation medal, as long as you do the things to count as participation. Does that make me the soft, entitled millennial that boomers claim is the outcome of a participation trophy culture? Maybe in some ways. But I also feel like it makes me more of an empathetic human being, recognizing that everyone has their own set of challenges that makes sometimes just showing up difficult, and that wherever you are, it should be celebrated. And maybe the sentiment behind the participation trophy quip is that millennials are entitled could be viewed from a different lens. Technology has provided so much more access to information, and maybe instead of entitled, we are just, as Megan Malone states in her half post article also linked we also know that there's a variety of opinions and resources out there and so we're not so quick to believe that everything we're told is true many of us are expert researchers and fact finders we know when we're being lied to taken granted for or underpaid maybe instead of entitled we were just asking for transparency and equality and i don't think that's a bad thing so it's kind of a, a sharp turn I felt like I was on the moth from like a cutie little story about I love running and participation trophies too. Maybe they're just mad because we want things to be fair and transparent. Okay. For the record, yeah. I don't have a prepared statement like you do. <laughs> on your weeks, you may have a prepared rebuttal. <laughs> but for the zero piece of people listening, I have a lot to unpack here. Okay. Do you just currently wearing a participation t-shirt? Yes, I am. <laughs> From my from beer league a soccer co-ed <laughs> beer league soccer league. Then I got a hat trick on and were, then never came back to another game because I was afraid of bringing shame to my team. Okay. Painting the picture here. <laughs> a co-ed tier three 
beer league team that you played one game in. You have a t-shirt. Whether you value it or not, it's another story. I love it. It survived the great purge. I don't think I have. I think my consternation with participation trophies is actually more along the lines of where they originated, not necessarily making them more figurative in activities outside of like sports, right? Go on. So when you sit there and like think about it, it really wasn't our generation that created the participation trophies. We are the ones that were handed the participation trophies. Interesting. Right? And so at the, at the end of the day, it's, hey, thanks for coming, is kind of what that was. I don't, when did, when did kids start giving gifts back at birthday parties? That's, that's, another, that's another participation trophy thing that I don't understand. It's like, no, you were invited. I get one day a year. I will make some cake and I'll exchange some cake for all your presents. Bring them in here. You get a piece of cake. Awesome. I'll come to your party. Now you have to like spend forever to put tiny little baggies of worthless crap together so okay. that you can send kids home with presents that they brought presents. It's presents or cake kids. No, as a kid with like some mild social anxiety about having to go to other kids' birthday parties, um, that was the best part of it was leaving out the door and being handed a little thing. And one time, one time, I will never forget this. I, I don't even know whose party it was. Some girl's party. And we all got like cuff, like little earring cuffs, you know, you put in your ear. Like what I used to wear when you first met me. Just like on the outside of your ear. And we mm-hmm. were in elementary school still. And we thought they were the coolest and we could not wait to wear them to school the next morning. And then the moms like talked and formed this like mom ban on those earring cuffs we all got in our gift things. And I, I thought that was pretty uncool of them. Pretty... Did they ostracize the one mother that gave everyone unapproved jewelry? I would like to tell you what happened, but I don't remember whose birthday party it was. So if that was your birthday party and you're one of our dear listeners, please let me know. (laughs) (laughs) But regardless. (laughs) Yeah, no. Anyways, those are the best things. We are so far off the topic, Christopher. (laughs) No, like participation ribs. I I could see the, the merit. Of them, but I think at some point in the line, it's look, you have a winner, the rest of you were non winners. We appreciate you coming, we hope you do better next time. We'll have this, <laughs> whatever it is. I mean, I didn't grow up, I grew up playing competitive sports, but not at like an ultra competitive level. I played city league sports as a kid, I transferred from city leagues up to the school sponsored teams through through all of that right and i don't know maybe i just never valued personally a participation ribbon because it wasn't the thing that i was trying to like achieve and accomplish in that like competitive scenario but maybe some people need it in order to go grow and you know find out you know that maybe this isn't for them or find out that they need to work harder. I don't, I don't know what the answer there is, but generally, generally in this world we live in, there are unfortunately winners and not winners. I won't call anyone a loser. Thank you. That's very kind. (laughs) (laughs) So 
Wonderful. Is that uh, is that all the questions? Um, I just have, yeah, that's it. That is all of the questions. So I love that. That was fun. It was really fun. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to our first episode of Mind the Millennial Gap, where you get an elder millennial and a younger millennial talking out loud. And we will actively go see if we can go claim a Gmail address <laughs> for the zero people to go send us messages to now. <laughs> who knows who else has that email thing? <laughs> oh, Thank fun. you. Thank you everyone for listening. This was way fun. I look forward to the next one. Over and out. Take care.